Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear and t-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part, for every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com/acast and use code acast for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com/acast, code acast. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweaters starting at $50. luxurious italian leather bags and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/style for free shipping and 365-day returns. And also, it's now depending on when people are listening, is back to school, right? It's back to school time. It is, yeah. and that got me thinking. You know, what? I mean, this is a weird genre, but of like schoolroom-based films, what oh. what stands up there for you? You know, I'm thinking because for wow. me, it'll be something like I do really like School of Rock. I've always yeah, enjoyed that that's good film. film. That's good film. Um, Dead Poet Society. I was just going to say that. Actually. I was just going to yeah. say that actually. Yeah, that's that's one of my favourite Robin Williams films. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, um, uh, there's a lots to choose from, isn't there? Really. Um, what else? Yeah, I mean, Dead Poet Society particularly is one that jumps jumps out. I think it's it's something that's been done a fair amount over the years. I mean, even something like if you want to go go back a fair number of years, the Prime of Miss Jean Brodie with Maggie Smith. Oh yeah, was very good. Although I'm going back to probably late sixties, early seventies, but and she played a school teacher in that, uh, a very prim and proper school teacher. But you know, a very strong film, character driven. Uh, Good storytelling, which is, as you know, is what I always look for. It's what we always look for in any film, isn't it? Yeah. So yeah. Well, there you go. Well, actually, Dead Poets Society is a good shout. You know, maybe that'll end up on our uh, nostalgia pick at some well, point. Well, yeah, I think it's pr- probably a, a fair bet, isn't it? Uh, and it is available somewhere on stream, isn't it? Because I, I did see it when I was uh, going through one of the uh, the indexes the other day. So I think it is. No, actually, that is is it's such a good shout. Like. I'll put it up there for now on on our potential list because okay. it for anyone who's new to UK Film Club, um, the nostalgia pick is the last film that we review in the episode, and it's something that has been out a while. Basically, mm-hmm. we haven't really set a clear timeline on that, but it generally has to have been out for at least say twenty years. Yeah. Um, but it's also a really good chance to just revisit. 
classic and to go into detail in the way that you really love to because yeah. maybe yeah. you love that film and often you know like if I do that with my friends and family they, yeah. they only have a few minutes to to put up with me and then it's <laughs> all right Chris <laughs> yeah. shut up enough <laughs> enough yeah enough yeah. um and Dead Person is exactly that type of film. Yeah. So I know yeah, I love it, but I've probably only seen it once or twice, maybe twice. Oh, I've seen it more often um, than that, I think. And that's the kind of mm. film that's like, it gives you that reason to say, look, I'm going to go back, I'm going to watch it, and then I'm going to come and chat about it. So yeah. maybe that'll be it. Um, if this is your first time to UK Film Club, where the hell have you been? Oh, no. Uh, no. But also welcome. And if you don't know the format of the show, essentially, Brian and myself review a whole smorgasbord of films mm. from the latest cinema releases, uh, which Brian handles at the beginning. Then we do a streaming pick, so that's something that's new in or on a platform like Netflix or Amazon Prime or Disney+. Plus. Uh, then we do a few indie films. These are films that people have requested us to review. Uh, they've actually sent them to us. Uh, and then we finish up with the nostalgia pick. and. I can say it's a rip-roaring show uh, <laughs> yeah. tonight because Brian has seen some of the hottest films at the cinema and we've got a very well-loved sci-fi classic yes, as a nostalgia have. pick. Yeah. Be afraid, be very <laughs> afraid is all I'll say. Yeah. Um, so, But let's kick it off with the cinema releases and we're going to start with... Haunted Mansion. And let me tell you, it will fight back. Ghosts like to fight. For example, 1813, a group of mediums went into the house just a little north of here. It took 21 days. They worked their butts off and they got that deceased owner out of there. But they were all found... Uh, how old are you? Nine. Okay, I'm talking organs on the outside. Oh, nine is young. On. It's, it's not, not that young, girl. I was driving by nine. Look, I know that might have been an extreme example. Yes. But they were a group of amateurs. I am a professional, okay? I'm bona fide and qualified, certified, and I can get rid of what died. Okay, then. So, Haunted Mansion. This is directed by Justin Simeon, starring Lakeith Stansfield. Rosario Dawson, Owen Wilson, Danny DeVito, Tiffany Haddish, Jared Leto, and Jamie Lee Curtis. So this is a well-trodden theme. Gabby and her son, Travis, have just moved into a new home. But they discover things that go bump in the night and enlist a team of experts to chase the ghosts away. There's Ben, scientist turned tour guide. Father Kent, who does a, lift, a nifty line in Exorcism. Harriet, a psychic. And historian Bruce Davis. This hits all the marks of a classic storyline in the horror genre. The effects are good and the characters are very likeable. It works because of the cast primarily. But Chase Dillon, the kid who plays Travis, is really the star of this film. Actors always say never work with children or animals because they always upstage you. And that's exactly what's happened here. Actors in a role like this will scream and make funny faces. But key to portrayal of fear is that we always try and hide it. And Chase Dillon totally nails it. He's absolutely petrified. This kid, he sleeps in a tent in the living room whilst they're all running around try, trying to work out what's going on. It's had some mixed reviews, oh, Haunted Mansion. But I feel it's, it's a good watch. It's pretty solid. 
And it, it does what you expect it to do. It's not going to pull up any trees. It's not going to win any awards. But it is good entertainment. It's good, solid entertainment. Very well played. Um, well designed. And yet, again, it's something that in our own conscious we plug into very easily. Whether we're, we're thinking about the haunted house uh, rides, whether we, we've read about it in literature, we've seen it in film. It's a, it's a well-known subgenre of horror. But good fun. Really enjoyed it. And my, my biggest question is, what was it like seeing Danny DeVito again? It's quite sweet to see him uh, <laughs> on screen because he, I think it's fair to say he's semi-retired now, isn't he, really? You yeah. don't really see him that often. But always been one of my favourite actors. Uh, always believable in the roles that he plays. And... You know, my memories of Danny DeVito stretch back to before he was making films. I mean, before he did, I, he might have done One Foot Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest at the same time. But he, I remember him in a, in a, a TV sitcom called Taxi with Mary Lou Henner and Judd Hirsch. And that would have been mid to late 70s. So my, my memory of Danny DeVito really marks my, my memory of, of films when my memory really started and kicks in properly. So it's kind of like he's always been there and then he wasn't. But it's great to see him back because all through the, the 80s and 90s, he was in, you know, at least one blockbuster, two, maybe two or three a year. And now you don't see him quite so often. And that's the, the sadness sometimes because you think to yourself, well, actors don't have to retire because they just play different roles as they get older. But they all get to a point where they think, right, I've had enough of this. I'm getting off the uh, the treadmill. But, yeah, nice to see him there. Nice to see him back. And still on good form. Yeah, it's funny with Danny DeVito because, like some comedy actors, he did kind of just have a huge career, like massive career, mm. was in everything, and then suddenly disappeared. But then now, I don't know, coming out again. Because uh, for me, it was films like, Twins, which he did yeah. with Arnold Schwarzenegger, yeah. Yeah. Matilda, and but funny enough, like those roles then compared with his role in Batman Returns was yeah. like it was unrecognizable. In that I know, this is it, but, um, yeah, yeah. but actually, really portrayed the range that he could do. Like, you know, he had that, he was kind of grumpy, I guess, in the other two roles, but yeah. for me, like, he was one of those actors that, yes, he was very, very funny, but also you believed him, it wasn't. Like yeah. he was just in it for laughs. Like he was a very good character actor, and yeah, yeah, it's, it's good to see him. I think sort of uh, yeah. still there, still making films. One one particular film that stands out for me of Danny DeVito's is The Wars of the Roses with uh, Kathleen Turner and Michael Douglas. Now you know they made two or three films together. They did Romance in the Stone and Jewel of the Nile, but they also made a film called Wars of the Roses, and it's about a marriage breaking up, and Danny DeVito plays the lawyer. And it's not, a, it's not a comedy role. It's, it, I mean, there are comical aspects of the film, but it's a very serious role of how a marriage can dis, disintegrate and gets ugly and nasty. And he plays the lawyer, um, telling the story, being the, the narrator and being part of the story as well. It's a film you don't see very often anymore on TV or even streaming uh, because it is quite violent in places. But, I mean, it's one of the best films that he's made but you, that you should seek out if you ever get the chance. 
always good to get a Brian recommendation. Yeah, because I've, I've not seen it, so that will yeah. be on my list. Yeah, um, no, have a look for that. It's very good. Very good. Uh, but but back to Haunted Mansion. One question I did have because I watched a trailer and I thought, okay, this looks very much you know, yeah in the realm of fun family yeah. caper kind of typical Disney fare. But it's two over two hours, right? I know. Yeah, it's quite long. Does and, it does it stand up? <laughs> no, I think it does. I really do think it does. I mean, they they've got a, a very strong cast. I mean, all the cast are very good. They all work really well. The the special effects, as you would expect, are pretty damn good. It's what you would expect in this day and age that it's almost a given. The special effects are going to work really well. But no, I I think it it jogged along at a nice pace. You might expect a film like that to be shorter than two hours, and it does feel a bit of a slog on paper at least but no I, I thought it was it was okay the pacing were, was about right i think the uh the characters were, were strong enough i like the psychic played by tiffany haddish jared leto was in probably one of his stronger roles as one of the ghosts um <laughs> if you know well i mean we've had conversations about jared leto before haven't we but yeah. uh, he was good you know they were all good and owen wilson as the uh the father was very good so strong characters Strong performances make a two-hour film more more bearable, really, in that way. And it's not just falling back on the, the special effects, which are very good. But again, that you take that as a given. But lengthwise, it felt about right to me. I mean, I wasn't, look at it this way, uh, watching the film, I wasn't looking at my watch constantly. No. I mean, when, it, when a film gets too long and then you start glancing at your watch, then you know, you think, God, I've, I've been here too long. We've been watching this for too long. <laughs> I never felt that with this film necessarily there you go yeah. i think that is a testament because uh yeah there's a big debate about the length of films and cinema at the moment and justifying i think ticket prices and stuff well, um yeah, so it's good to right. see a film like this can can hold it yeah, up i think so yeah definitely does that yeah there you go haunted mansion in cinemas mm. currently depending on when you're listening to this yeah. and yep. it's uh it's a thumbs up from brian so Absolutely, there we go yeah next up animals don't have thumbs uh but no albeit man's best friend. I think that oh. was a fairly good link. Not I too think bad. it was. I could see where you were going straight yeah, away. Like, yeah, <laughs> that's a pretty good link, yeah. Well, not too bad. Will Ferrell and Jamie Foxx voice uh, yeah. some dogs in strays. Hi there, uh, big dogs. I'm trying to get home. I know which way that is. Oh, great. Right up my fucking ass, you little shit. Oh, no, that can't be right. <laughs> I'm lost. You're a stray man. You can do anything you want. This beer doesn't taste good, but I like how it's making me feel. Have you ever hooked anything before? I recently fucked this couch. Best sex of my life. And she dirty too. No, well, I, I can tell. Looks like she hasn't been washed in years. I'll see you later, baby. It was nice to meet you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really should find my way back home. We could help. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, oh. We're completely lost, and my little puppy paw pads are really hurting right now. This could be a lot worse. How could this get worse? Huh? How could it get worse? Ah! Hold on, buddy! Ah. Oh, wow, your balls look huge from this angle. Thank you, but holy fuck! That is the craziest thing I have ever seen. And I'm Dennis Quaid, and Dennis Quaid has seen some shit. No starving. How many of these should we eat? All of them? Give me a sec. Whoa. You look different. You look different too. How so? Is it my human hands? Hold up. Sit! The cops! Oh god, what do we do? Calm down. I got this. Hello, officer. None of us. Shut the fuck up. 
this is directed by Josh Greenbaum, as you, you've pointed out, voiced by Will Ferrell, Jamie Foxx, and also Isla Fisher and Randall Park. This is about dogs taking revenge on their best friend, or more precisely, a careless dog owner called Doug. He treats his dog Reggie with disdain and throws him out. He becomes a stray and starts to run with a streetwise bug. They hook up with Maggie the Cully and Hunter the Great Dane. Reggie decides to take revenge on Doug by, shall we say, removing a delicate part of his anatomy. That pretty much is all you need to know. It's the most unsophisticated brand of humour you can imagine. It's very crude, but very funny in places. For listeners, this is not suitable for children, in my opinion, although talking dogs might give that impression. It's peppered with bad language and is very explicit, but it has its moments. It has its moments, and uh, it's something that you once you, you're sitting there, you're watching it. It's very short. It's 90 minutes. That's about as long as it should be. But, you know, it's funny in places, although, as I say, it's very unsubtle. Yeah. Interesting film, like in terms of the way they marketed it, saying, you know, it's like from the makers of Ted, right? Yeah, well, yeah, I know. Makers of Ted and also Cocaine Bear, I think. Which I haven't seen, but I've, I've obviously heard review other reviews. But yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think people can get the kind of vibe by get just the knowing yeah, yeah, get the those gist. films. Yeah. And yeah. when I watched the trailer, it was like, oh, yeah, like straight away, you got all these bleeped out words and stuff. I know. I so know. what I liked about the idea was this kind of, because I don't think it's quite the same, but if it was like Homeward Bound, but explicit, you know, like the, you've got the yeah. characters, like the, yeah, the, yeah. the animals running it back, and but then, but it's yeah. more for adults. I did like the idea. I I do wonder with these sort of films whether the shock value on the first watch is kind of the appeal, but then when you rewatch it, you don't really yeah. find it that funny. I could, yeah, yeah, I think that's probably true. I couldn't imagine watching it again and laughing at it in the way I did. Mm. I mean, there are some very clever set pieces, but I mean, having seen it once. In some ways, it feels like a one-gag movie. You know, you can imagine that the the gags are pretty predictable about dogs and what they do and their habits. And you know, you know, I won't go into more detail than that because I mean, obviously, there are listeners out there that will want to see it. So I'm not going to give give away any any of the plot or what happens. But it doesn't take a lot of imagination to work out where the gags are going to land in this film. So I don't think there are any surprises. And that's what, when I say it's a one-gag movie, it is. You know, it's, it it can't possibly go anywhere after this. But then again, I've just realised what I've said, that it can't possibly go anywhere. I mean, there will probably be a strays too. It wouldn't surprise me, really. I but, think they, you know, like when they did like TED 2 and stuff, like yeah. they do, they capitalise on like a fan base that obviously is there and, good comedies are very rare so i think sometimes people do kind of seek out this sort of stuff yeah um and it works because it can be very tongue-in-cheek and mm. like you say explicit so for me i'm always wary of those sort of films because i don't always think that the appeal is the good writing i think it's in the shock value yes um, absolutely yeah i i agree that this there isn't much in the, in the writing, in the direction. There's nothing remarkable about it, really. It, it's, it is shock value. I mean, it's it's very... I think the script is very simplistic in, in a lot of ways because of 
it goes for the jugular. There's nothing very subtle about it, but it, it doesn't mean to be anything else, I suppose, in its defense. It's not trying to be anything else, but what it is. And that's fair enough. But, you know, again, it may well be a, the type of film that you many people would prefer to see on stream. And it is still running at, at the cinema. It's still doing reasonably good business, as far as I can tell. But that is pretty limited insofar that it's not. it doesn't have that kind of growing you feel. As you point out, it's not something you'd, you'd want to see a second time necessarily. There you go. But let's know what you thought about Strays. If you've seen it, um, we're always happy to hear people's thoughts. Mm, and yeah, if they're absolutely. good enough, you know, maybe we'll play them on the next episode. Yeah. Mm. Um, speeding along now, mm. and you can see what I've done there, oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> to our next film, Gran Turismo. Gran Turismo, yeah. That, Dan, that was a good link, really. I, yeah. I, didn't know what you, I really didn't know what you was going to do there. That's really, yeah. <laughs> got, it keeps me on my toes, Chris. Let's yeah, put it that way. Yeah. Okay, Gran Turismo, directed by Neil Blomkamp, starring Orlando Bloom, David Harbour, Archie Medeque. The story begins with teenager Jan Mardenborough, who becomes increasingly hooked on the Gran Turismo race simulator. His despairing parents want him to pick up his studies at university, but Jan dreams of being a racing driver for real. The chance presents itself when he emerges as a top-scoring gamer. He's invited to the GT Academy to train as a professional driver. The Academy is the brainchild of marketing executive Danny Moore. He convinces the Nissan Motorsports team that the best sim racers can be turned into real drivers. Moore recruits frazzled ex-driver Jack Salter as chief mechanic, but can the theory ever work in practice? Now, it's obvious this film is a PlayStation co-production, so the CGI borrows heavily from the game. Whilst these sequences are brilliantly constructed, they're not really needed. When Yan actually becomes a driver, it should be more about him, the machine and his opponents. The unique selling point is the truth of the story being told. However, they do overplay their hand. Yan raced at junior level, e.g. GP2 and GP3, which puts him in Formula 3 territory. So it's not quite the trailblazer depicted. Exaggeration aside, this remains a well-made, entertaining romp. There you go. I mean, for a film that is in two sketchy uh, categories, which is Mm. racing films and films based on uh, computer games. Yeah. The reviews have been pretty good for this. Like, I I thought it was going to be an absolute flop, but they're doing all right. It's not it's not absolutely sucking a storm out there. So, Mm. yeah, I'm intrigued because I was a big fan of the game. I've I've been a a long time player of Gran Turismo, but Mm. It was never something I ever thought, oh, I must have a film of this. So well, obviously they've done something different. It's not like you're just watching people race all the time. They've got this like whole plot uh, you know, around the idea. of, And it said originally the title was a true story or something, the Gran Turismo a true story, but I'm well, not sure whether that well, was true or not. <laughs> well, 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 it's it's kind of true-ish. It's, it's what you might call faction, right? It is basically a true story. Uh, Jan Mardenbrod was, still is as far as I know, a racing driver, but the film itself tries to elevate his status a bit more than was actually true, really. Um, The level he raced at was basically in the realms of Formula 3. So they tried to big up 
him as a character more than is really the case. But he was, you know, it's basically true. You know, he was a Gran Turismo freak. He used to play the game. And then he became a driver through the GT Academy. All of that's true. But where they, <clears throat> where it falls down a little bit for me anyway, is that they they try and they, they say that he's changed the face of motorsport forever. And that's not really the case. It's quite an achievement to, to start off on Gran Turismo, just playing the game and then driving. But so it's like any true story, any film based on a true story, they have to cut corners in some places. It's never going to be totally true. I mean, I've never played Gran Turismo. So, I mean, you yourself, Chris, I mean, if you played the game, then you'll get even more out of this film than I did. I mean, I found it very enjoyable in as far as it went, but I think they relied a bit too much on on the graphics from that come from the game, although that's inevitable, I guess. Yeah, I think, you know, that's what people are going to expect. But like I say, I think when it comes to computer games, everyone does kind of hold their breath a little bit and think, oh, God, please don't, please don't lean too heavily on it because the genres don't really, or the, you know, the, the art forms don't really lend themselves to each other very well. And a film like this, where it is quite alienating you know the idea of someone in a race car and mm. racing films you know there's some amazing ones out there yeah like yeah. Uh, i really like rush with chris hemsworth that's always recommend that yeah. to people yeah. um but there's been loads ford versus ferrari that was like wasn't out too long ago yeah. um that even stepping into that ring is mm. dangerous because there's some great yeah. films to compete with so oh, yeah yeah i think also this is the sort of film you do want on the cinema, right? You want something with yeah. spectacle. You want the yeah. the thrills and the, yeah. the energy. Uh, yeah, you know, that's the type of movie. Like you said with Strays, maybe that's more going to find a home on streaming, whereas this yeah. is, yeah, you get get what you pay for kind of thing yeah. at the cinema. I know. I think you've nailed it there with, with that word spectacle because a film like this needs to be seen on a big screen. Films like this are why we go to the cinema in a lot of ways. That's a phrase I often fall back on why we go to the cinema. We want to see something of a spectacle. And this looks pretty damn good on, on the big screen. And it will lose a lot of its impact when it goes onto onto stream. But that's inevitable. It will le- it will obviously lean on uh, the uh, the elements of the game because really the the character, the real person, Jan Mardenborough, did start playing the game. So it has that need to lean on, on on the game itself and incorporate parts of the game into the movie. But I think they probably used it a bit more often than they needed to. That's probably what I'm trying to get out there. There you go. Well, let's know what you think. Gran Turismo is at cinemas currently mm-hmm. and depending on when you're listening to this. Um, one more for the cinema and it was the big release kind of came uh, out just before or just after we were able to do the last episode so brian has very kindly watched it and we're going to review it on this episode oppenheimer we imagine a future and our imaginings horrify us they won't fear it until they understand it. And they won't understand it until they've used it.
take you only so far. Directed by Christopher Nolan, starring Killian Murphy, Robert Downey Jr., Florence Pugh, Emily Blunt, and Matt Damon. So it's been out since the end of July, but it's still doing good business. This is the true story of the physicist J. Robert Oppenheimer, director of the Manhattan Project and father of the atomic bomb. It's a great cast. I mean, I felt duty bound to, to read out, probably more than I normally would. Uh, in terms of the leading actors, because it's a brilliant cast. Fantastic acting, visually stunning. Do you detect a butt coming up now? <laughs> I, I, was, I was waiting for it, because you well, have a tone. I was like, he's not loving this, but let's, yeah, let's see. Right, well, here's the part. Christopher Nolan is being overambitious, in my opinion. He's trying to cram too much into one film. I mean, there's two films here, really. There's the story of Oppenheimer growing up, going to Harvard, Cambridge, the Manhattan Project, the bombing of Hiroshima. That's one story. That's one strand of his story. Then you've got his troubles with the establishment, losing his security clearance, his connections with communism. That's another story. That could be another film. And consequently, it becomes a lot to digest in one hit, because this is three hours. Now, we mentioned the length of films earlier on, didn't we? Here's another case in point, that in fact, it's three hours long. And it's trying to combine two strands of Oppenheimer's life, really. And there is a lot of detail there. And I think it's difficult to watch in one hit, in one go. And it would have made two very good films. I mean, made a mistake. It's a, it's a very good film. And it is what, I'll say it here and now, I'll call it here and now. It's one of Christopher Nolan's best films so far, easily. It wow. is good. It is good, but... I don't think it's as good as some people think it is because it's been getting five-star reviews and I understand why, but I don't think it's quite at the five-star stage for the reasons I, I've just given. It's interesting, isn't it? Because I always think with Nolan films and I know I can hear Ian getting upset, even though he know, can't hear what we're talking about right now. I know, I know. Um, that with Nolan films, they get judged on a totally different scale to other films. Yeah. That if this was someone's first film, I always think, what would we give it? Because often there is this sense of, oh, yeah, but we know what he can do. Mm. Like, we know what uh, Inception and Interstellar can be like and or whatever your favourite Nolan film is. Um, I do think, you know, if anyone hasn't listened to the Phantom Zone episode, the recent one on Nolan, do go and listen to that because they really delve into Oppenheimer as well as all the other Nolan films. And it's a fabulous episode. Um, the, for me... I do agree that, that one of the, uh, one of the points they raise is about the idea that 
has Nolan peaked uh, and they kind of settle on maybe Inception was the peak that I do kind of agree with that because I think although some of his earlier works actually I think are on, on a par with that I just think that things like Interstellar, Tenet, uh, I haven't seen this so I can't judge it but like Tenet I just didn't come away with the same feeling that I did as I did with Inception. Inception I was yeah. like yeah everything about that's a near perfect film I, yeah. I i couldn't really think of anything yeah. um whereas with tenant i was like I, I watched it once and i felt just exhausted i know i know and it's I that thought, kind of film isn't it yeah. i can rare I, I still can't really bring myself to what i tried to watch it again and i just i got I had to turn it off and i just thought <laughs> that isn't a good sign um yeah. so with oppenheimer where does this sit with that sort of more latter kind of output from nolan i i think it's the it's the best film he's made since Inception. I mean, I like Dunkirk as well. I thought Dunkirk was excellent. I think it may well be his best film since Inception. Personally, I, it is good. It is good. But it, as I say, it's trying. It's trying to crowbar too much in. And he could have easily made two films about Oppenheimer. I don't know why he didn't. But I think it's up there. You know, I think it, it ranks with his earlier work. Whether he's peaked or not, it's very difficult to say because he's relatively young. You know, he's He's incredibly talented. He's got that ability. But I think he's the kind of director that's going to be respected more than he is loved. I think people will find it very easy to pick apart what he does because he set the bar so high very early on. So maybe that is a problem to peak so early. But, you know, I think Oppenheimer is a sign that he's maybe picking up the the inspiration of those early efforts. I think it's a promising sign in that way. And I think, at the very least, he's a filmmaker that is daring to do things. And yeah. whether that always lands is is fine, like as long as they're they're trying. And it's great to see a film like this at the cinema. People yeah. need this, for, you know, these types of films to be there. Obviously, it tied in with Barbie and and had that kind of whole hype around yeah. it. But obviously, even without that. Yeah. A, a Nolan film is a spectacle. It yeah. is a time for everyone to rejoice yeah. and go, right, we've got yeah. something to see. I mean, whether or not you... I think... I, I, I wouldn't want to argue with Ian, but I could argue with Ian about his opinions on Nolan because I think yeah. he does... Uh, he has this problem with him. Yeah, but, I know. Yeah. But for me, I just think, well, he, you can't deny he isn't... You know, he a great filmmaker. He's yeah. just made so many great films well, that... Well, yeah. Yeah. Well, let let me just just throw in one one factoid, Chris. When I went along to see Oppenheimer, it had been out for about a week, I think, because it it arrived just too late before we we did the last podcast. That's why why we held it over. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but when I went on to see it, I think it had been on for about a week. And do you know, every single seat was sold at my local cinema. Every single seat was taken. And in all the years I've been going to the cinema, that's only the third time I've ever known a complete sellout at the cinema. I just don't, you know, that's the third time in, say, what, I don't know, 35 years. I'm going to ask, what were the other two? (laughs) What were the other other two? Well, you might be surprised by this. Or one you you won't be surprised by, but the other one you would be. The first one was the first Jurassic Park. Okay. That was a complete sellout. And that was, I think, what, 93, 94-ish. And the other one was in 1988, Odeon Leicester Square. And it was, wait for it, Dirty Dancing. 
Oh, uh, honestly, it was Dirty Dancing. They're the three sellout audiences that I've been part of. I've, it's such a rare thing, but it gives you an idea, though, of the the interest that, that Christopher Nolan creates. And it's not all about Barbie. It's not Barbie and hybrid. I'm not sure I'd buy into all of that. It, it's certainly a factor that people have gone along because it's a Christopher Nolan film. And I think he attains a status similar to, say, Spielberg, because people see the director before they see the title of the film. It's funny you should mention that because that was going to be my next point, was we've recently seen that there have been some huge losses in films, um, one of which that has sort of been thrown around a lot is the latest Indiana Jones film, that Mm. they put so much money into it, but it has been a massive flop. Yeah. Um, And even though, you know, obviously Spielberg, Harrison Ford, you know, you've got these sort of... this. Mm this legacy to fall back on. Yeah. But, and yet a film like Oppenheimer with a modern filmmaker that's making new, exciting, original films, mm. not based on a franchise that can yeah. still absolutely knock it out of the park, regardless yeah. of people's critical feeling on it. I think the numbers speak for themselves. Like you yeah. say, the sellout shows that that cannot be ignored, that a filmmaker is able to do that even in this day and age. Mm. Um, so yeah, no, I, I very much look forward to, to seeing yeah. it. Um, and I'm glad we got round to it because obviously yeah. it was a big release. We even had it on. We still got it on the website. It's on the on the homepage because uh, yeah. <laughs> it was such an interesting yeah. visual. So uh, yeah, yeah, it's got, I'm glad you've uh, you've been yeah. able to cover it, Brian. Yeah, no, it's good stuff. And Killian Murphy's brilliant, as per yeah. usual. As per usual. Um, and, and my choice to play James Bond next as well. Really? Well, Do you know what? That's not a bad shout. I'm happy with that. I'm happy. Yeah, with I know. That. Let's hope it happens. Let's hope it. Yeah, Killian, if you're listening, we've got you back. Yeah, absolutely, back, Jack. Um, moving on now to our streaming section of the show. So, thank you, Brian, for the cinema releases. We Pleasure. are now going to review a film that is on Amazon Prime, and it stars Kate Beckinsale mm-hmm. and. I'm trying to find a member of his name. His name's Brian Cox. The Brian, name Brian went Cox. for me. Do you know yeah. what I had in my head? I had I had I had a Brian something else, and I was like, "No, that's a friend of mine. That's not yeah. <laughs> that's not who's in this film. No, he's not in this film. He's no. not in it. Yeah. No, no, sadly, um, <laughs> Brian Cox, um, who plays a prisoner who is um, given a rather sad prognosis that he is going to die in a matter of a few months uh, because mm. he's got uh, stage uh, four cancer, pancreatic mm. cancer. He is offered compassionate leave if he can stay with a family member. The only family member he seems to have is his daughter, who is estranged, um, played by Kate Beckinsale, who lives with her son, um who has epilepsy and lots of other uh, things in their family unit Mm. are not great. Um, But Mm. she also doesn't like her father um, and doesn't want him to come stay. But because of the financial situation she finds herself in, him paying her some rent actually Mm. would be well-timed. So she lets him come and drama unfolds uh, whereby they kind of either are going to reconcile or become even more divided Mm. whilst... Uh, Brian Cox's character fills out the last of his days. Mm. Um, Prisoner's daughter, Brian, what did you think? 
I really enjoyed this film. It was good. I, think it's, I liked yeah, it. Really good. Really strong. As we mentioned earlier on, character-driven, great storytelling. Brian Cox plays this type of part so well. Totally convincing. Um, and really, he's a hard man who's showing his softer side in his final days. He wants to make peace with the world, with himself, but also he wants to build bridges with his daughter and come to terms with the life that he's led. Because in the story, he's, he was an unpleasant man, wasn't he? I mean, the circumstances that, that put him in prison become clear as you watch. And he obviously regrets the life that he's led. A very unpleasant man. But now you see the softer side of him. And Kate Beckinsdale, I think, is really good as well. I feel she's underused as an actor. You know, she does a lot of TV work, but she feels lost to the big screen, which I think is unfortunate. I think that might might be her choice. But, you know, what came through very strong in this film for me is that Kate Beckinsdale might be, you know, she's very photogenic, but she can really act as well. She can do it and she can do an American accent. I mean, would you think that she was English? Would you think she was born in Finsbury Park in London? No, I th- I, I've, I've seen her do... British uh, accents before, so as in, sorry, uh, her normal accent. And I did think that in this, she, you, yeah, you wouldn't be able to tell at all. Um, whereas Brian Cox, I kind of thought, not sure on the accent as such. What did you think? You see, I think a bit like Sean Connery, Scottish actors hedge their bets a little bit when they're playing characters that we assume are American, right? We just assume that. But you see, like, like Irish actors, like Scottish actors, they can kind of, I think they, in their own mind, they can get away with it. Now, a dialect coach will obviously be able to pick that apart. I think he, he just about manages, I think, because, the, you know, the American accent, or what we recognise as an American accent, is a combination, of a hodgepodge of different English regional accents. So in New York, for example... That is kind of a mix of Irish and English, isn't it? Regional dialects all, all sort of mingling together. So I feel in some ways the Celtic actors, if I can call them that, the uh, Scottish, Irish. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. The Welsh actors as well. I've got that kind of, that burr, that kind of lilts in their accent that means that they can... Just get away with it. But I know what you mean, though, because it's not... You, you could very very easily sense it dropping at certain points. Yeah, I, I thought it was a good performance. I just, yeah, obviously we just mentioned the accents. But what I liked about Prisoner's Daughter was, and this kind of ties into what you're saying about Kate Beckinsale, yeah. was 
the film stayed with drama. It didn't because a film with a title like this, you can imagine, oh, it's going to have you know action set pieces every ten mm. minutes. But it really didn't. It was really staying with the drama and the story between this father and daughter mm. and letting all that emotion unfold. I mean, there were a few scenes, uh, don't get me wrong, where things do kind of vamp up, but not much. Yeah. And I think what they were keen to do here was to lean on these actors a lot and say, look, you know what, you are going to be carrying this film. But mm. it was so engrossing because it was very believable. There was a lot of heart there. There were bits that I think they did struggle with. I don't, let me sound harsh, but mm. Ezra, the character, mm. I didn't find his performance, uh, played by Christopher Convery, mm. that that he did struggle a little bit with these like titans of acting around him. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I he was fine, right. yeah. but I, there were bits where I was like, Do you know what, like, you're sticking out a bit here. Yeah. Um, but great think... also to see Ernie Hudson, by the way. He was I, I, yeah, I like Ernie Hudson. He was the he was the uh, the boxing the boxing uh, coach yeah. trainer, wasn't he? I I think he's always got again another underused actor. You know, I mean he he first came to to my attention during Ghost when he was in Ghostbusters. But... That's, yeah, I because I the first like minute of the film was like that's the guy from Ghostbusters. Yeah, that's the guy from Ghostbusters. Is that the guy? That, that's the guy. From yeah, Ghostbusters. it is. And he and he hasn't hasn't cha- changed a lot. You know, he's got older, but he he's he's still easy to pick out in a film. Yeah. A good actor and a good foil for for Brian Cox's character. Um, I'll tell you one thing that kind of irked me a little bit was that uh, there were two characters called Max because Brian Cox's character was was Max and uh, Kate Beckinsale's character was called Maxine. You know that <laughs> it shouldn't be a big deal, but it kind of it, it kind of irritates me a little bit. I don't know why. <laughs> I think, give the daughter a different name. That way, there's no chance of. Well, you can't get confused. You couldn't confuse Kate Beckinsale with Brian Cox, obviously not. But you, you see what I'm getting at, can't you? I mean, yeah. but you know, you I know, think it, it, it ties in with the point of the film, though, right? Was that I think he wanted a boy, or that oh, that's how she yeah. felt, and that's yeah. why he she had she his didn't name. feel wanted, yeah. And also that they both share a lot of similarities in terms of yeah. the way they were or the way they are. Um, but yeah, no, I thought it's one of those films that's perfect for this kind of section of the podcast because. Yeah. I hadn't noticed, I think it came out last year, um, but it's on Prime. And yeah. I thought, you know, it's the sort of film where you've got a decent cast, let's have a look. And I really enjoyed it. And this is sort of thing I, thought I would say to people, oh, hey, have you seen that? Actually, yeah. it's, it's worth a watch. It's worth your time. It's nothing groundbreaking. It's nothing that's going to be sort of reinvent your life, but no. it's definitely worth watching, if only for the performances, but also, like I say, for a film that dares to stay in the drama and let you just. Yeah. absorb yourself into this family unit for a while and yeah. see all the things and also it's it's playing on a lot of emotions you know the idea yeah. of parenting because yeah. not only obviously did he really struggle and he's now got a terrible relationship but she's struggling with her son yeah. and the challenges yeah. that he's going through That's but right, then yeah. you've got the character of his dad who's like a drug user but is still trying to be involved in his life and I thought he was good actually I thought that the the dad like because he was yeah. he was like a wild card and he didn't yeah. know what he was going to do and he, and he kind of turned up at the party at one point and yeah it was yeah that was he he was the he was the baddie he's the one that you boo kind of thing when you're yeah. watching it isn't he really even and I suppose the the juxtaposition between the characters being what it is is that Max you know 
he's, he's still a hard man, even though he's terminally ill. He's still a hard man. He can still look after himself whilst he can. Coming up against someone like like the uh, the boyfriend or the ex-husband. Uh, were they married? Uh, anyway, he's the father, isn't he? He's the father of Ezra. Yeah. And he provided the friction, didn't he? But I think you're, you're, you're right. You're absolutely right that they didn't, uh, they didn't go... They didn't take the easy way out and fall back on, on too much physicality. There were some, some combative scenes there, but it was all about uh, the relationship between those three people developing when Max was coming to the end of his life. I think the ending was a surprise. I wasn't expecting it to end like that. Yeah, obviously not going to ruin it, but yeah, it's no. worth worth sticking around for that just, just yeah, to see. It's, it's going to be divisive, I think. Yeah, that's that was interesting. I wasn't expecting that because really, when when it, the premise for the film when it starts, you think, okay, know where we are, know what's happening here, and you think you know the way it's going to end. But it, as I say, but so much the better for it is that it's. I'd like a sting in the tail. I like to see something unexpected. So the finale, the climax to the story, should preferably give you something you're not expecting as a viewer, and I think it does that as well. There we go. Prisoner's Daughter on Amazon Prime. Check mm. it out and let us know what you thought. Mm. Yeah. We're going independent now with two two different movies. Um, we're going to start with the short and um, it's directed by Keith Gwynn and Thomas McKelson. The man with his fingers in his ears. He, he, he doesn't have to be there to to be there. He's he's just there. So even when he's not. I feel like sometimes he's kind of taken a piss actually. He's just made a big decision about the way he wants to live his life. Away from it all. He hadn't listened to anyone for years. What's he got to say? Really? We communicate, don't we? His fingers went into his ears. As easy as that. If ever there was a title of a film, this is it, isn't it? This is this oh, is yeah. as good as it gets. The man with uh, his fingers in his ears. Yeah, I mean, there will be never be another film. There's probably not been a film before or since that's got this title. Because occasionally, <laughs> film. I think it's fair to say. I think we're safe by saying that, aren't we? Well, um, actually, you, know, you you struck a really interesting point because oh, as yeah. a film site editor, one mm. of the hardest things for me is when people are talking about the same film, but it's got this, or it's got the same name, but it's a completely yeah. different film. Yeah. Or if it's like one word, and you're just yeah. like, there's like about twenty films being reviewed. So like, which one are you talking about? Yeah, Assassin. Um, Assassin is is one. Yeah. Like, no, it's, it's, it's about three or four of those. Uh, um, but yeah. there's there's definitely not one with this title. Mm. Um, to give the gist of the film, um, so this camera crew turn up. It's a sort of, I don't know what you say, sort of maybe like a, a presenter and a producer that they they yeah. rocked up to uh, interview. Uh, we are assuming the man with his fingers in his ears because mm. the interesting thing about this film, sorry, spoilers, but you don't actually ever see this guy. Mm. Um, that's not the point of the film. Um, it's all to do with. So this uh, camera crew, they are bickering about whether or not they should even be here. Yeah, whether, you know, what's yeah. the point if, of what they're doing? And they kind of um, feel that they're wasting their life, or at least the, the cameraman does. And then we're also given 
these talking heads of the people that do know the man with his fingers in his ears. Mm. Um, and they're talking about their perspective of him and how they try and sort of almost sell it as a, as something interesting, something worth being on TV or something. Mm. Um, and they all try to sort of make themselves sound really profound and the way that they're yeah. wording things. And I think you know, for me anyway, the whole film is like this indictment of society and our tendency to, first off want these type of stories we want this sort of like tea room chat about oh did you hear about this thing you know it's the kind yeah. of like channel five documentary yeah. Yeah, yeah, uh, with the yeah. with the gaudy title that's drawing you in and actually it's probably just someone that needs a bit of help um yeah. but it's also about how we shape our conversations around it and our yeah. relationships around it and it makes us sort of maybe yearn for the spotlight or at yeah. least want to be involved and that was really powerful and also it being a comedy and some of its improv I think that the yeah. whole thing had a really really cool vibe I thought yeah I really enjoyed this I think it was great fun I think it's it's typically British um, it's very um, very eccentric but again being British is about being eccentric it's about looking at new perspectives in lives. And I think this film, even though it starts, even though you would, you would badge it as a comedy, right? But it makes some valid points about the way we communicate, the way we see ourselves in society. And let's be honest, there, there are times when we've all felt like sticking our fingers in their ears and not listening and switching off. I think that's, that's something that's totally real. I feel that, you know. And to watch the... Um, these talking heads, you know, the way the story pans pans out, you know, you've got the, the cameraman and the, the interviewer um, not finding him because they start out uh, saying, right, this is the pub he drinks at. I wonder how a man drinks with both his fingers stuck in his <laughs> Anyway, it's just a thought. Anyway, but of course they couldn't find him. They said, well, let's go and interview people that know him. And I like that kind of setup. They think, right, oh, we haven't found him, but let's let's just talk to people that think they know him right and as you say they're trying to be perceptive and deep and and intelligent about it all but never quite really get to the bottom of it but it's just their own take on it but i do like it though i do like it and the reason i like it is because it is very british in its approach it's eccentric and it's quirky it's great fun and i really enjoyed it and it's it's a pleasant surprise it's not what you you really expect but great title for a film as well. Yeah, and I think that was crucial in setting the tone of the film was to have something that would be super intriguing because you get the rug pulled from you slightly when you realise that actually this is more of an introspective film than you think. You know, yeah. the idea is, oh, that's, this would be something interesting. And then you're actually given this film where you're asked to examine how you would probably perceive mm. this and whether you think this is, like, okay for people mm. to objectify someone and, and to you know, pour, pour them out on screen mm. and you know the way that these people do um mm. yeah i found it very funny and i also yeah. found it quite moving and i think that's that's key um i thought the the filmmaking was good uh that's also that can be crucial with a short like this it's like yeah. does it sort of hold up but yeah the, the, the standard of filmmaking is really good it's from um sketching studios who we've reviewed quite a few of their films in the past um, and Keith Gwynn has he's uh, he's quite regular in contact with UK film reviews. So 
If anyone does want to watch The Man With Fingers In His Ears, um, it's on their website and on YouTube, I believe. Um, so sketchin.co.uk, mm. uh, you'll be able to find some of their other work and this film. But I do, I love shining lights on films like this. Um, yeah. I think they're the sort of films that deserve it because it could so easily go under the radar. Um, yeah. It doesn't, yeah. It, we, it's the sort of film... I felt like we had seen this before or it was at part of the festival. Um, and I know it's been reviewed before on the website <clears throat> that it's perfect. It's perfect for the, for our sort of niche because we do do this a lot. We shine film, uh, shine light on these sort of films, but it's good to have this platform now um, to be able to yeah. talk about it in a bit more detail and how we perceived it. Um, and yeah, definitely worth people yeah. seeking out. I feel it's the right way to, to make a short film. You know, this is, 10 minutes or 11 minutes and it kind of nails it because it sets this stall out very early you know exactly what it what it's driving at and it becomes more obvious very quickly and i think some short films take too long to get to the point and they often don't realize that they've got a limited time frame but this film get, gets gets it in really well and i like the fact that it is improvised as well that give, that gives it more of a kind of a spontaneous feel but it it makes it feel real it, it does feel like a series of proper interviews something that might appear on a, a documentary program or or a local news program of some description that feels real as well i actually think that was crucial the improv because when i've seen documentary or, or mockumentary i should say mm. being used that if it comes across as scripted, then that's not good. Like it really yeah. does need to feel that the characters are, are being themselves and, and talking yeah. kind of openly. So that really worked. And the way that there were these natural uh, nuances with the way they were speaking or mm. even talking over each other, like when I think one of them was talking to the presenter and mm. it, it felt that so much more believable because you yeah. can imagine being, oh, this is actually, you know, they've put this together kind of thing. Um, so yeah, no, it worked really well and yeah. shout out to the performers because um, some pretty funny bits in that film. Yeah, it's good. It's really good. So, the man with his fingers in his ears yeah. to check it out. Moving on now to an indie feature film from writer-director Nick Gatsby. It's called Zappa, uh, which mm -hmm. has been reviewed on the website and I'm going to do the plot because... Oh, thank God for that. Oh, God yeah, I could, I, could, I could sense the tension. You were holding your breath. Going, who's going to do, who's, who gets to do this one? Oh, um, thank you. We have a slight uh, reoccurring theme of having films that have, shall we say, offbeat kind of plots recently. Mm. And Zappa is, is no different. But I will do my best to, uh, to sum it up. Um, so essentially... First off, it's a surrealist comedy, I think, is kind of, sort of how I would mm. describe it. And it's based on the plot is like some celestial beings or, or higher beings are engaging in a bit of fun, as they see it, by hiring what's called zappers to compete uh, and solve a a puzzle or like a, a challenge whilst they watch on and see who gets kind of zapped, I guess. Um, mm. The current challenge is to find four puzzle pieces that have been put in different parks and together they make a long board. Stay with me right now. Nice. Um, we are given a few different protagonists over the uh, course of the film as it shifts between the events and 
different enemies and uh, villains come in and some of the characters make it, some of them don't. But essentially the idea is that they are going to compete until the, whoever walks away with the most amount of mm. puzzle pieces, that celestial wins, and they are all arguing amongst themselves whilst this happens because people are playing tricks. And the whole film has a kaleidoscopic kind of turning of colors throughout yeah, yeah that... it's been put in put through some kind of post-production software yeah. i'm guessing to make all the colors shift constantly um yeah, yeah. and it creates this sort of like acid trip of experience um whilst this is happening not to mention lots and lots of uh kind of uh cheeky special effects and things mm. vibrating and also yeah. The most important uh, feature is that instead of guns, they have bananas. Yeah. yeah. Um, mm. That is actually probably better the synopsis than I thought I was going to do, but it still does sum up how difficult I found to, yeah. to come to terms yeah. with this film. But well, mm. I can always get a feel of your how you feel about this already, Brian, but <laughs> what do you think of Zappa? I... I, I... I don't know where to start, really. I mean, I mean I, I'm not going to say, you know, this is the way a film should be, right? You know, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a form of art, isn't it? You know, film can be whatever you want it to be. It's, it doesn't have to be conventional or conform to it, any, any precise format. But the first thing I look for in any film is, is a discernible storyline. And I, it wasn't really coming across to me. Visually, I found it very difficult to watch. I mean, you mentioned the um, the colours, and I found the colourisation of the, the film really lurid and difficult to look at sometimes. And whilst they did put a warning on at the beginning of the film to say that there are sort of flickering images, there are laser-type effects, you know, in spite of that health warning at the beginning, I, I think it, I found it difficult to watch, visually anyway. So I don't think it's an easy watch in that way. As for the storyline, I think the what you've what you've done, you, you've given it the best possible um, description that that is that you can do. Um, I just found it difficult to follow. You know, um, as I say, no one can we can have no preconceptions of, about what a film should look like or what, what it should do, or what it should say, but there should be a clear message there. You know, but I didn't see, nothing was coming through to me at all, and Whilst this film will have its supporters, it may well attain cult status. Maybe it already has. It's the type of film that would. But I, I didn't really get it. Honestly, yeah. I didn't. Yeah, and I, I think you're absolutely right. And I know that any filmmaker that embarks on this type of like hallucinatory film knows that they're going to divide audiences. Yeah, yeah. They're not sat there thinking, okay, everyone's going to love this. Yeah. Um, so so I, I'm not worried about maybe not being the target audience for it i am also keen to highlight some of the strengths of the film because there are bits that i did find funny and, and i did find interesting do you know what my favorite bit is the moose i wanted more of the moose right. the moose that just kept turning up that did make <laughs> yeah. me laugh yeah okay. um yeah. that was funny and there was a few bits like when he's trying to brush his teeth while wearing a balaclava and things like that yeah. um but then there were other bits where it was just like okay it's it's not compelling enough for me to follow and it's not funny enough for me to forgive it. 
I think that was my kind of problem that I was like, if you're going to be wacky and zany, it needs to be really funny. And it wasn't mm. really funny. And then the plot, which actually started fine to begin with, I was with it to mm. begin with. Like, Do you know what? Like, it's okay. Like, I kind of, yeah. I see where we're going. It kind of just lost it by the halfway through. It, just, it kind of forgot to, to keep carrying on with the plot. And we sort yeah. of, it didn't come to any um, fulfilling conclusion in, in my my opinion. But yeah. There were some really good parts. I like the um it's funny enough, I think the visuals are very distracting, but actually yeah. the the sound effects were pretty good. There was a good score there, it was like electronic score. Yeah, yeah, that had true. a had a very cool vibe. And I, I yeah. wonder if the film would have been stronger had they used the whole kind of like uh acid trip style stuff sparingly yeah. if it was yeah. just like for cutscenes or for just sort of maybe briefly rather than the whole film because it kind of yeah. just became like an endurance test yeah if yeah, it yeah. if it would be more like oh these are like ad hoc bits that we're just going to do for fun but then we're going to get back to like a story and have a, an interesting story that it wouldn't have been such a kind of uh mission to get through because i yeah. i did feel by that by about 40 minutes in, i was like all right yeah i'm uh, obviously i'm watching but i am keen yeah. for this to, to finish and i i think a film like that often would often fare better if it was broken down into sort of sketch-based scenes where you might have a punchline there that kind of relieves the tension of, of watching the rest of the film. You know, it kind of breaks it down a bit. So, as I say, sketch-based sequences might have might have been a better viewing experience for me, maybe not for everyone. But that way you, you break down the, the kind of the tension and the, the fact that visually it does great, great on you after a while. Um, but as I say, to each his own, but it, it, because of that, I found it very difficult to follow and I needed something there to break, break down the, that kind of tension, that, that intense concentration you have to apply to a film like that. It becomes I, very gracing. I thought as well, the, the changing of the protagonist was difficult because you had Daffy, who was the character that you were kind of following at the beginning, um, who actually is played by Nick Gatsby. Um, but then we, we, we follow Lucy later on and someone else that first off that actually gave them a chance to maybe change the aesthetic of the film. Maybe they could have, you know, had it different, but also it does, jolt you a lot i mm. i didn't enjoy that as much because i you yeah. know maybe i'm a sucker for a traditional filmmaking but i was kind of like this oh, is my yeah. way into the film this is who yeah. i'm kind of following because yeah you know, he, he's not quite aware what's going on and then but then we, then we moved to someone else i i was that i felt a bit disappointed in because i was like oh okay well now i'm now i'm really lost because actually yeah. I, i'm not even with this person but suddenly i am mm. and there was a few decisions that were made that i did think that okay Either you're trying to do that, and that's absolutely fine. If you're making like an experimental artistic film, you want to give the viewer that feeling, mm. then actually Zappa has achieved that because it is a very disconcerting film. Like you're watching it, you kind of go, yeah. do you know what? This is visceral and this is a, a feeling yeah. that I've not had from a film, but I can't say it was something that I fully enjoyed. No, no, I know. But again, I mean, I can't imagine myself watching that a second time, really. I would have to wait a fair while before seeing it again. But, you know, like I say, it, it will work on certain levels for people. But, you know, it, it just it, it didn't work for me. I also, yeah, 
I agree. Like coming to it a second time would be an ask. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I did one. So I've, I've written like my own little review for it, and I was I was wondering if it would have been better as a short, like you know, as a short, yeah, possibly, film, yeah, so punchy. Because yeah. I yeah. think there were some nods of the head to like Tarantino and stuff in the film. Yeah. And I was like, I can imagine cinephiles kind of enjoying it, but yeah. I don't think many are going to enjoy it for this length. Like it runs at an no. hour and a half, yeah. um, and that, I yeah. don't think they lean enough into that for you to be like yeah. enriched by it I, I think that's a good point i think the length probably is what kind of beat me with this film it is that an hour and a half it's a lot for for what you're what you're getting visually from it um orally from it is a bit too much over 90 minutes it it probably i think it would have been better as maybe 20 minutes half an hour it would have been, been more manageable. And, and then you could also maybe condense the plot into something a bit more like, okay, it, it's maybe more rudimentary because you could just have like two pieces or something, I don't know, three pieces, yeah. or, or you've, you move on a bit quicker. But yeah, it felt that it was quite stretched out. And yeah. the, there was some, there was still some good gags, I must say. There were some bits, especially the use of special effects and stuff. Yeah. Like I remember a bit where like a car suddenly turns up and I thought that was done really yeah. well. Yeah. Um, but, and I, yeah. yeah, that stuff I thought worked well. Yeah. But I think when it comes to things like that, you're now talking about gimmicks, right? It's like that's yeah. something that someone's. Oh, did you see that bit? It's not yeah. enough to sustain a whole film. No, no, that that's that's the thing. You know, the, I did I did think of Monty Python at one point with the visuals and the, yeah. the cartoons that Monty Python put in. So, and I can also see kind of the 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 pop fiction angle as well. Now you've mentioned it, but. Even so, as you say, it's just not enough, really, to keep it going. Yeah, there was like a title card at one point when it goes, oh, this is a robbery, or that, yeah, that yeah. bit. that was like the yeah. line from the film. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm always wary of, of sort of not recommending a film because I didn't personally gel with it because no, I no. definitely think there are audiences out there for it. And actually, yeah, you mentioning yeah. Monty Python yeah. is... This isn't Python, but it's in the same arena, I yeah. think, of maybe a much, much more modern version of, yeah. of Python. That yeah. if if you like that kind of zany, baffly comedy, which I do, I love Python. Python's yeah. great, but Python still had great plots. The plot was still yeah. discernible. You, yeah. you followed that, and then you yeah. enjoyed the comedy as you yeah. went along. Whereas I think with this, they're asking you to just kind of just go with it, and yeah. they don't lead you anywhere and they kind of just wait and see if you're happy with that yeah um it's on plex tv i believe so people can watch it, i think and it's called zapper with an exclamation mark um directed by nick gatsby so i do i would love to hear what people thought about yeah. it. this is that type of film where i do it's want to know yeah. what people say particularly this film yeah absolutely. Yeah. Um, and it's had some good reviews i've seen some reviews elsewhere and some people have really gelled with it and i think often with this sort of film it depends on First, obviously, your taste, but maybe also what you go into expecting. I, we obviously go in almost blind. Or we don't know what we're going yeah, in well, Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Whereas Absolutely. if you've listened to this review and think, do you know what? Actually, that does sound like it's up my street. That Yeah, I yeah, think you may be. get a lot out of it. And mm. if nothing else, I'd, I'd watch the, the moose again. I found that really funny. 
I think the moose right. needs its own short. Give it yeah. its own short. Yeah, maybe that's what they should do. Maybe that's the way to go. Yeah. Uh, give the give the moose its own TV show. You know. The moose zapper. Yeah. Um. But yeah, that was zapper, and that's the end of our indie section. We're going to move on to the nostalgia pick now. And I gave a little hint at the beginning of the film. Did, yeah. Because I didn't know that that line, because obviously it's a very famous line, was from this film. That's where no. it came from. I know. Do you know what? I'd forgotten that it came from this film. I thought it was much later. I thought it was the uh, the Adams family. Oh, see, I thought it was like something that had been around for ages. I felt like it was like maybe something in like a thirties horror that the, everyone was like kind of yeah. referencing. But yeah, it's, it's Gina Davis in in yeah. The Fly. She says, um, "Be afraid, be very afraid, be very afraid." And she, yeah, she was the first one to say it. I thought it was later than that, but it it's one of those iconic lines, isn't it? From from the movies iconic line from an iconic director david yeah. cronenberg's the fly from 1986 mm. currently available on disney plus and i say that in that tone because streaming platforms have a habit of letting us down but <laughs> yeah, <I know. laughs> it is currently on there and i have seen lots of articles about disney plus apparently planning to drop a lot of their titles so oh. i hope people can see this mm. film i actually recommended yeah. it to my brother the other day because he hadn't seen it yeah. and I think for me, this is up there with some of the best sci-fi films. I just think it's got everything it needs for a sci-fi film. Yeah, I mean, look, I I really enjoyed it. I remember when it came out. I didn't actually see it at the cinema. I think I might have seen it on video. Do you remember those things, Chris? Videos? I do. I do. Yeah. I probably still got a few. <laughs> anyway, so I mean, I, I remember when it came out. I mean, really, apart from. Jurassic Park. It's the one film we would identify with Jeff Goldblum. It's the one one film I, I would say, right, yeah, he made Jurassic Park and The Fly. He made he's made lots of other films naturally, but this one it is it's a standout. I think that there's a great chemistry between him and Gina Davis. I mean, they were married for a few years, weren't they? So maybe that's that's understandable. But it's a classic story. It was a classic story when it was remade in '86. What I was curious about, I hadn't seen the film for a few years. I was curious about the the CGI, the special effects, mm-hmm. and how they've worn over the years. And really, you think 37 years have passed since it was made. And the special effects, they do show their age, but they're still, they still work, I think. I think it's great. I, I, they still work, don't they? Because you've got a, it's a lot of practical effects, right? So yeah. it's like uh, makeup and... Yeah. There's a bit early on in the film, so we haven't actually said about the plot. So the plot is yeah, that he, yeah. he's a scientist and he's developed uh, a teleportation uh, device that can yeah. send one thing for another, but he's having problems with it because he can't seem to send anything living. Anything living that goes through dies on mm. the other end. Gina Davis plays a journalist and they meet at this sort of soiree and he wants to sort of impress her, but he doesn't really realise that she's there also because she wants to get a story. Yeah. Um, but he's not ready yet. <clears throat> To impress her, he uh, goes through and inadvertently goes through with a fly at some point. Mm. And that causes all kind of chaos, basically turning him into a fly. Mm. Uh, Well, some kind of human fly hybrid. Um, But the point I was making is uh, earlier when he's showing her this device, he he sends something through and it comes through on the other side, like inside out or or like, is it a baboon, isn't it? And the graphics effects on that obviously they've done it with animatronics and or something yeah. 
were amazing. I was like, that is so effective. Yeah. And I'm such a sucker for that sort of stuff. I know Cronenberg's kind of known for this sort of uh, yeah. horror and those effects. But yeah. I, I, to comment on your point, I think they do really stand up. It's not a film that felt that dated. Um, obviously, the computer screens date it because that's yeah. clearly not a, a modern computer. But no. You've got some things in this film that are still genuinely sort of disturbing. A lot of his um, uh, development as he as he starts to take on more of these attributes of a fly are mm. quite scary. And yeah. I love the use of like dry ice as well. It's like dry ice pouring out it of the works, machines. It, it, it looks does, great. It works, doesn't um, it? It always does. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, it's 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 that sort of film that really sticks with you. I'd only seen it once and that's why I kind of wanted to revisit. I'd seen it. Yeah. Um, I think part of my uni uh, thing of trying to see films that were often referenced and the fly was one of them that hmm. for me, I think Jeff Goldblum is a fantastic leading man. Like you say, he's only really known for this and, or sorry, he's, he's mainly known for this and Jurassic park. And I think yeah. that's because he came at both films with such charisma and yeah. such like a, he's like a sexy character like he plays this like he's like he's kind of flirting with the audience almost yeah. throughout his performance no. and him and Gina Davis just work excellent she's great I love Gina Davis yeah. Um, yeah. quick question favourite yeah. Gina Davis film I'll put you on the spot oh I'm gonna be I'm gonna be a bit obvious here I'm gonna have to say Thelma and Louise I thought you might I thought it's yeah. either gonna say Thelma and Louise or he's gonna say uh What's the other one with the baseball team? League of Their Own. League of Their Own, which was another good film. Great film. I, for me, it's probably uh, Beetlejuice. I love Beetlejuice. Uh, oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Okay, yeah. See, there are lots of shoes for me. Gina Davis, such a good actor. Really good actor. Um, she was great in, in The Fly. As I say, the, the, the chemistry between her and Goldblum was pretty obvious, wasn't it? And they became a couple. They were married for, for a few years. But Jeff, I mean, I don't think there are many actors that could have played this role as well as Jeff Goldblum did. It kind of suited him. This kind of very charismatic, very commanding sort of actor and took to the part very well and made it sort of quirky and studious and believable. He's perfect as the eccentric scientist, the eccentric but brilliant scientist, which is, which is Seth Brundle. So... I think it was a good film. And it's, again, it's the type of film Cronenberg is very good at making. Funny enough, you just reminded me as well about him being the scientist because the other film that I would say I'm always reminded of is him in uh, Independence Day where he plays that same kind of uh, like scientist who's a little bit socially inept. Um, And I was like, oh yeah, he was in that, wasn't he? And yeah, he's got, actually that is quite like a, Similar character he ends up having yeah. to play. He, he's actually made a lot of films. You know, his first film, I was doing a bit of research the other day, as you do. As we sometimes do. As we show. sometimes do, yeah. yeah. And his very first film was the, the first Death Wish movie oh. with, with Charles Bronson. He didn't have a big part in it. I think he was one of, I think he was billed as the punk or one of the, you know, that type of thing. Um, that was his first film. That was 74. So it's surprising how long he's been working for how long he's been around for but you know he's always you know he's always been there he's one of these comforting figures a bit like Danny DeVito you know you've we've always seen him in films and there's a comfort in seeing a familiar familiar face but you know one interesting thing though is that it's the fashions in the 80s I mean one thing you notice a bit about the flying is the size of the computers those huge box type things 
and the hairstyles. I mean, <laughs> Jeff Goldblum and Jenny Davis have got the same hairstyle, haven't they, in that film? I mean, they've both got <laughs> I hadn't noticed it, but actually, yeah. They, they've both got... You're going to go back and have a look now, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, I'm looking so, at it now, yeah. Um, but it seems like they've both got the same hairstyle. But then again, that, that was the fashion. And it's one of the things you kind of... It's, you know, it's one of the things I, I hate and love about the, the Aces in Equal Measure was the fashions. Because it was so typically Aces. But, you know, a great film. A I think, film. yeah, actually, Remember? one thing I was keen to talk about, about the film was, you've just picked up a little bit, is the the era that it's depicting, which is obviously the 80s and the idea of scientific breakthrough, but Mm. computers as well. And the idea of, yes, we can, but should we, you know, and that's part of this film, you know, looking at the the outcome of what can happen with almost tying into sort of like Frankenstein's monster sort of thing. It has that kind of vibe and it's still a very relevant theme there's a lot of topics yeah. in this you know especially now you know what can be done in you know, like ai and that sort of stuff that it's the type of film that has that enduring quality and i could easily see not saying they should but i could easily see a remake happening well, because yeah. it's it's still so so uh, relevant and yeah. yeah hats off to the to the writers and to Cronenberg yeah. for making such a great film i think there's something quite timeless about it that you know they did make a fly too didn't they i think there was did a, they yeah, I didn't so. know that. That didn't come up in my research, but that shows you how much I did. No, I, I'm sure I saw that they made a a fly too, but it it wasn't quite as it wasn't the success that the first fly film. Was. Well, it's also there's a, there's a 58 version of the fly. Yeah, nice with Vincent Price. So it's not even an original film. This is a thing, you know. I know. Yeah. What do we know? Um, oh, but I think that I think I was thinking that when I was watching it that. They could remake it now. Think of what they could do with the special effects now, you know. But maybe it is of its time. But then again, they may well have said that about the fly in 1958. So why not redo it again? Some films have that quality about them that they can be remade. There you go. I mean, I think I, I, I'm tempted to watch the fly too. It's about. Oh, I'm, I'm, can I say? I guess it's a, it's a nostalgia pick. If you don't want to know the outcome, just maybe skip ahead 30 seconds or mm. a minute um but obviously he has a it says he has a son right yeah um and that's what the second film's about i kind of feel like i need to watch that <laughs> yeah i know I, I don't think i've i've seen it previously but now you now you said it i mean i've got to see it it's well. not cronenberg though obviously so it's someone else and yeah, that, that um, doesn't and the cast uh, actually there's some people on there but ah, uh, it's the sort of film where i'm like i'm gonna regret dedicating time to that but yeah, I, feel like I need to. I know. Um, it's well. Look, if you're going to watch it, I'll have to watch it as well. <laughs> I'm not going to make it the nostalgia bit because neither no, of us no, have no. seen it. No, um, there we go. But yeah, so no, the fly. Uh, very much enjoyed it. Really yeah. great to revisit a, a classic horror. Um, although I, I'd say it's more sci-fi than horror, but there are a lot of horror elements to it. It's a bit of both, isn't it? I think it's kind of fifty-fifty, isn't it? Really. Yeah, uh, but it is well worth your time, and it's the kind of film as well that if it comes up in conversation. It's always good to be able to say you've seen it. I think. Of yeah, course, yeah. I've, you I've don't want to be. F- yeah, you're right there. You don't want to be left out of conversations, do you? Yeah, and also, is any any good reason to watch Jeff Goldblum? He's, he's always good. Yeah. <laughs> it's cool, cool. So that is the fly, and that is your lot, listeners. Um, we have been all over the place in this episode. Uh, I hope. Just. 
I hope you've um, enjoyed enjoyed the ride. Strapped in. That's a Gran Turismo reference there. And um, yeah, it's been a been a fab show. Thank you, Brian, for all the films you've seen and your amazing reviews. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure, as always. always. And um, this has been the UK Film Review Podcast. We appreciate you, you listening. And if you are doing anything out there to share episodes, also a big thank you because it does help us review even more. Um, but that's it. Until next time. And thank you again for listening. Bye for now. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.